Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today's first reading is from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. This is a reading from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, giving them advice on how to be in community together. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. Paul writes, Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in the honor of the Lord, and those who eat, eat it in honor of the Lord, and since they give thanks to God. And while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. The word of the Lord. Today's final reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, found in the New Testament. Chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Listen again for God's word to you and to me. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven will be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and his children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. 
and out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord. In Stephen King's book, 11-22-63, two of the main characters have a falling out. George and Ellie are really mad at each other, and the last thing they want to do is sit in each other's presence and act nicely. But when a mutual friend named Sadie invites them over for Christmas dinner without the other knowing, they find themselves seated at table together. Now they're adults, so they are prepared to grin and bear it throughout the meal, even as they boil inside. Sadie, however, has higher expectations for them than to just be polite over dinner. She wants them to bring their whole selves, demons and all, to that table. And she wants that because she trusts God is there too and that God has the authority and the power to make those demons go away. So Sadie asks her guests to join hands And then she prays this prayer. Dear Lord, bless this food to our bodies and bless our fellowship today. And bless George and Ellie with friendship. Help George remember Ellie's kindness and help Ellie remember George's compassion. I love them both. And it's sad to see mistrust in their eyes. For Jesus' sake, amen. After an awkward moment of silence, hands still holding, Ellie lets go and speaks up. That turkey, it looks absolutely wonderful, she says, handing George her plate. Would you mind helping me to a drumstick, George? And please, don't spare the stuffing. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a powerful and a beautiful thing. Peter, Peter knew that. He'd been around Jesus long enough to understand the power and the beauty of forgiveness. He'd seen countless people repent and believe the good news and have their lives changed forever. This is why Peter likely feels pretty good about himself when he approaches Jesus with a question. 
Lord, if another member of the church, of my community, sins against me, how often should I forgive them? As many as seven times? As many as seven times. It's pretty impressive. Peter thinks he's being really generous here. Biblical scholars have uncovered that it was a common practice in Israel at the time to believe that God forgives three times and punishes the fourth. In the book of Amos, the Lord repeatedly says, for three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Peter, under the influence of Jesus, doubles the standard three exemptions and adds one more, giving him the number seven. Now, it makes sense that Peter wants to impress upon Jesus how much he has taken to heart all the teachings he's given about love and compassion and mercy. Peter has been with Jesus long enough to know that the discipleship he requires demands more than what is usually expected. Seven times. Compared to three, I mean, that's that's a lot. It's just not enough in the eyes of Jesus. Not seven times, but 77 times, he says, which really is to say forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive again. Frederick Toots Hibbert, the lead singer and songwriter of Toots and the Maytals, and one of reggae's foundational figures, died Friday in Kingston, Jamaica. He was 77 years old. Hibbert's humble demeanor and affable personality belied the towering global stature he had in the music industry. Regarded as a national treasure in Jamaica, in 2012, Hibbert was conferred the Order of Jamaica, the country's fifth highest honor. Hibbert toured worldwide until 2013, when a fan threw a vodka, vodka bottle at him, hitting him in the head during a performance that happened to be here in Richmond, of all places. The bottle hit Hibbert in the head so hard that it gave him a concussion, which led to long-term severe health complications for him. Now, at the trial of the defendant here in Richmond, a defendant who was a young white man, in a letter, Frederick Toots Hibbert asked the judge to not put him in jail, to not put in jail the young man who, in a drunken rage, threw the bottle at him. He writes, he is a young man, and I have heard what happens to young men in jail. My own pain and suffering would be increased substantially knowing that this young man would face that prospect. Forgiveness is a beautiful and a powerful thing. To drive home his teaching on this importance of forgiveness, Jesus tells a parable that, like all of his parables, grabs our attention, surprises us with grace, and jolts us to embrace the life God offers to us that we might offer the same life to others. There's this king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. And he starts with one who owes him 10,000 talents, an astronomical amount of money. 10,000 talents is equal to about 600 million denarii, a debt so big it would be impossible 
for anyone to repay. How impossible? 10,000 talents is equivalent to 200,000 years of labor, or 60 million working days. In modern money, 10,000 talents is about $3.5 billion. The slave, of course, cannot pay a debt of $3.5 billion. Few people could. So the king decides in that moment to sell the slave, sell all the slave's possessions, and sell the slave's family so a payment can be made against the debt. This unspeakable horror compels the slave to fall to his knees and to beg the king for mercy. And out of pity, out of compassion, the king does more than just cancel the debt or give him more time. All is forgiven. All of it. He and his family are free to go. If only this were the end of the story, an unpayable debt is forgiven by a merciful and loving king. If only this was the end of the story, because we know this story, we like this story, we know and like this story because it is our story. This is the story of God's amazing grace, the story of receiving the forgiveness we so desperately want and need and cannot afford, the story about being given the chance to start over again. We repent, and God forgives, and we are set free. If only that were the end of the story, but of course it's not the end of the story, because God's forgiveness knows no end. Alex Evans, the pastor of Second Presbyterian Church here in Richmond, has worked as a police chaplain. This work, he writes, requires him Quote, to be engaged in a big sea of complex thoughts and emotions and actions related to life and death, revenge and forgiveness. He tells the story of a police, a police officer who was killed in the line of duty and whose murderer escaped and was on the loose. As you can imagine, the officers involved in the desperate search for the person who killed one of their colleagues are caught up in incredible grief and loss, and anger, and fear, and desire for revenge, all of which can render their police work less effective. One officer talking with Evans described his experience this way. I was riding around filled with hatred. This criminal had killed one of my best friends. It was going to feel so good to find him and kill him. I was ready, I was focused, I had a mission. But as the hours passed, I realized how I was getting caught up in the rage and the loss. I realized I was becoming, in my thinking and feelings, all that the killer was, a hateful, murdering person. I realized I am different. I have to be different. I am more than that. I cannot be pulled into that death-filled, hate-filled, kind of existence. As stories like this remind us, forgiveness is a beautiful and a powerful thing. But for every story like this, and like Frederick Toots Hibbert's, and like George and Ellie's, there are other stories, tragic stories, where people choose not to forgive. 
For every story of forgiveness being freely offered, there's a story of a heart remaining hardened, of judgment being passed down, of mercy being withheld. And lest we think we are immune to these kinds of stories, the story Jesus tells Peter, the story he tells us, takes a really hard turn. It goes on, the slave who was forgiven this enormous debt, this unpayable debt, as he's leaving the king's palace, he bumps into a fellow slave who owes him 200 denarii. Not an insignificant amount of money, I'd take it, but it's a fraction of the debt he owed his master. And yet upon seeing his fellow slave, he grabs him by the throat and demands the debt to be paid. The man begs for mercy, which sounds familiar. Give me time and I will repay you, he pleads to his friend. But the slave who earlier in the day had his debt forgiven, his three and a half billion dollar bill wiped clean, this slave is unwilling to share that fortune with another person. No, he says, no, I won't forgive. Instead of mercy, he offers the man a prison cell. This story begs the question, I think, can we really be so hard-hearted after receiving God's mercy? Can we really be so cruel to another person after having our own sins forgiven? Can we really receive forgiveness and then so quickly and callously judge another person? course we can. The minute we write somebody off, the minute we hold someone in contempt, the minute we withhold forgiveness that is requested, the minute we forget the extent of God's grace shown to us, the minute we are blind to our own brokenness, our own complicity, our own sin, the minute any of these things happen, we stand judged by the same grace we have received and we diminish the power of God's grace in our lives and the lives of others. Reverend Nadia Bowles-Weber likes to remind her parishioners that grace isn't about God creating human beings as flawed and then acting all hurt when we inevitably fail and then stepping in like the hero to grant us peace, saying, oh, it's okay, I'll be the good guy and forgive you. Grace, she argues, is God saying, I love the world too much to let your sin define you and be the final word. I am a God who makes all things new. It's really interesting to notice that throughout Matthew's gospel, the only people Jesus reserves judgment for are religious people those of us who have received the good news of a God of love and fail to have it change our behavior towards other people. There is no judgment given to the lost sheep or the tax collectors or the sinners. There is no judgment given to the foreigner or the outsider or people of other faiths. There is no judgment given to those who break religious laws or laws of the state. The ones who stand in judgment are the ones who have received God's grace and then withhold it from other people.
If no greater love does a person have than this than to lay down his life for his friends, there is no greater sin than this than to withhold God's love from another. I don't like the ending of this parable. It's a tough, tough ending. For it seems to indicate that those who are forgiven but don't forgive are cast out for a light time of punishing debt repayment. I don't like the end of this parable. It's a tough ending because it paints a gracious and merciful and loving God in a different kind of tone. When we come up against something like that, we have to to read this story in the context of the larger story, the story of Christ dying for our sins and the sins of the world. This is just one story. It's not the whole story. This is a story, a parable full of unlikely things and size. The debt owed is enormous. The forgiveness offered is ridiculous. The punishment given is extreme. This is a parable of extremes that is meant to grab our attention to remind us just how important forgiveness is in the eyes and heart of God. To be a people who follow Jesus is to be a people for whom forgiveness is a default setting, not an optional one. We don't count, we don't keep track, we don't keep score, we forgive over and over and over and over and over and over again because that is what God does for us. That is what God has done for us. Seven times? Nope, 77, which roughly translated means forever and always. You know this, but I forget it, we forget it. We have been forgiven a debt that we could never repay. And the only way we can pay that mercy forward is to internalize the absurdity of God's unmerited grace. For to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive is to stand squarely and firmly in God's redeeming grace now and always. To forgive is to participate in God's defining action and work in the world, the salvation of everything. On 9-11, with the dust still settling, a 13-year-old named Maddie Stepanek wrote a poem entitled, For Our World. It's just as relevant then as it is today. We need to stop, just stop, stop for a moment before anybody says or does anything that may hurt someone else. We need to be silent, just silent, silent for a moment before we forever lose the blessings of songs that grow in our hearts. We need to notice, just notice, notice for a moment before the future slips away into ashes and dust of humility. Stop, be silent, notice. In so many ways we are the same. Our differences are unique treasures we have. We are a mosaic of gifts to nurture, to offer, to accept. 
We need to be, just be, be for a moment, kind and gentle, innocent and trusting, like children and lambs, never judging or vengeful like the judging and vengeful. And now let us pray differently yet together before there is no earth, no life, no chance for peace. Forgiveness is a beautiful and a powerful thing, and it is the work of God. Amen.